Welcome to Sexual Health Matters, Let's Get Clinical. We acknowledge that the land that we are recording on is the traditional land of the Kaurna people, and we honour their ongoing spiritual and cultural relationship with their country. We pay respects to the Kaurna elders past and present. We also extend our acknowledgement to the traditional custodians of all the lands across Australia, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal elders past and present. Hi everyone, my name's Nikki Brandon. I'm a clinical workforce educator and sexual health nurse at Shine SA. And with me today is Dr. Amy Moten, who's the coordinator of medical education. Today we're going to be talking about chlamydia. Chlamydia is the most common sexually transmitted infection and the most common communicable disease in Australia. It's transmitted by sexual contact, which is the direct spreading of sexual fluids during sex or sexual intercourse. The bacteria is called Chlamydia trachomatis and it infects the genitals as well as some other body parts. In most people, it's actually asymptomatic, but if it does cause symptoms, it can cause a penile or a vaginal discharge. It can cause dysuria, abnormal vaginal bleeding, which can be bleeding after sex or intermenstrual bleeding, pelvic pain, testicular pain and anorectal symptoms. The thing with chlamydia is it's very easy to catch and it's very easy to pass on, especially when most people don't know that they have it. So why is it so important to screen for it, Amy? As you say, Nikki, most people don't know they have it and so they're often passing it on before they ever have a test for it or have treatment for it. And we know it causes infection of the reproductive tract, such as infection of the testes and also pelvic inflammatory disease. And these infections can have long-term consequences, including infertility and chronic pelvic pain. Chlamydia can also be passed to newborn babies during delivery and if untreated in those babies called blindness. And we also know that having infection with chlamydia increases the risk that someone will have acquired the infection HIV. And this is because they might be more likely to be exposed to HIV, but also because the inflammatory process caused by chlamydia means they're more likely to acquire HIV if they are exposed to it. The people we should be testing for chlamydia, basically anyone who is sexually active and anyone who wants to be tested for a sexually transmitted infection. The RACGP Red Book recommends screening everyone under the age of 30 annually. However, other populations should be screened more frequently. So men who have sex with men, people who've changed partners within the last 12 months, anyone who's had a sexually transmitted infection in the past 12 months, anyone who's had a sexual partner with a sexually transmitted infection, People who are at increased risk of complications, such as people who've had termination pregnancy or an intrauterine device inserted. People who've got high risk behaviours who use drugs and alcohol. People who've got signs or symptoms that could be suggestive of chlamydia. And anyone who requests a sexual health check as well. Taking a sexual health history is easy within a sexual health setting, but how can it be facilitated within general practice, Amy? The most important thing is to normalise it, make it part of a normal consultation because if you're asking it more often then it's more likely to sound natural and less forced and if you can make it as part of a routine health check then it can remove some of the stigma and embarrassment from the person that you're asking the question. So you might for example say to someone, well you're 25 and we actually recommend that everyone under the age of 30 has a chlamydia test, would you like me to organise that for you while you're here today? You could also incorporate it into a contraceptive health consult or a a cervical screening consult, but also talking about things like routine travel vaccinations. You may be able to bring up the fact that hepatitis B vaccine is a travel vaccine, but it's also useful for anyone who's sexually active. And while we're talking about that, can we talk about any other risk of sexually transmitted infection that you might have?
We should remember that any consult in general practice is an opportunity to offer opportunistic STI testing. So other things to discuss when testing for chlamydia is to make sure you do have consent of the person as with any STI test and document that in your note. You need to make sure they know how they receive the results, whether they need to contact you or you'll contact them. Make sure you have at least two points of contact, such as a mobile number and an email. And also just have a brief discussion about partner notification, which is contacting any recent sexual partners for testing and treatment, and also whether it's a notifiable disease. And so how should we be offering this testing? Well, GPs and other health professionals can feel uncomfortable bringing up STIs into the conversation. And some of the main reasons might be that they're embarrassed, they're worried that the patient might be embarrassed or offended, or they're not sure how to offer a sexual health screen. As Nikki said, it's very easy to bring up and take a full sexual health history in a clinic which is designed for people to come and talk about STIs. And it may not be appropriate to take a full history in a normal consult when you're offering opportunistic screening. So it might be that you offer someone the chance to go to the toilet to do a self-collected sample while you're organising a prescription pathology or radiology referral form. I often say, why don't you just pop to the toilet and give me that sample while I finish up your paperwork. When you should take a full sexual health history is if someone has tested positive for an STI and they're coming back for treatment and other partner notification, for example. And this is important to assess other risk factors. For example, if someone has a positive vaginal swab for chlamydia, we'll need to be asked about rectal intercourse as the treatment for rectal chlamydia is slightly different sometimes than the treatment for vaginal chlamydia. And certainly anyone with a positive chlamydia test should also be offered screening for bloodborne viruses. So if someone does ask for a full STI test, it is completely appropriate to take a sexual history and discuss the types of STIs you're testing for and the kind of samples you'll be taking. And it is important to be aware of what samples you do take. So I'll pass back to Nikki to discuss how to collect a sample for, say, an opportunistic screen. With somebody who doesn't have any symptoms, it's easy to collect a first-pass urine. Now, that's a first-pass urine, not a first-void urine of the day. So they don't have to come back at early in the morning having held their urine. That's whenever somebody's in. As long as they've held their urine for at least 20 minutes, you want to catch the first part of urine that flows. If somebody's got a vagina, a self-collected vagina swab is preferable over a first-pass urine test. Other swabs that you can take would be a rectal swab and a throat swab. And if somebody does have symptoms then they would require an examination. And also you'd need to consider bloodborne virus screening, and that's obviously a blood test. If somebody does test positive, chlamydia is a notifiable infection, and you do need to inform the communicable disease branch. The client also needs to let their partners know, and we call that partner notification. That can be tricky sometimes and people can find it difficult to contact their old sexual partners, but more and more we're finding that people are actually finding it a lot easier. To help, there are partner notification services such as Let Them Know, Drama Down Under and Better To Know. These are all found online. Let Them Know is from Melbourne Sexual Health. Drama Down Under is MSM orientated and Better To Know would be the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander site. To bring it up in a consultation, you could mention things like most people with an STI don't know they have it because they have no symptoms. They can pass it on to other partners and they can have long-term health problems. So think back to when and where you had sex recently or any special events and that can assist with people recalling partners. If somebody is struggling to contact their partner, you can also offer to do it yourself. When it comes to treatment, Amy, what's the best treatment? So while the treatment for chlamydia is standard across Australia at the moment, I would recommend that you check the Australian STI Management Guidelines for the most up-to-date recommendations. 
recommendations do change based on antibiotic resistance patterns and also depending on the site of the infection. So as I mentioned, rectal chlamydia has a different set of treatment necessarily from someone with vaginal chlamydia. And also you can use those management guidelines to look at contact tracing guidelines and also how far back you should contact trace as it does vary for each individual STI. So Nikki, tell me, when should we do a follow-up test after treating someone for chlamydia? So it's not routinely recommended. A test of reinfection three months after treatment is good practice. But if somebody tested positive with rectal chlamydia or if somebody's pregnant, that's when you would do a test of cure. And that would be two weeks after treatment. Patient-delivered partner therapy. Is that something that people can do here, Amy? Patient-delivered partner therapy is available in some states and territories. So at the moment, it's technically legal in Victoria and the Northern Territory. The idea, of course, is that if someone has a regular partner and is treated but their partner isn't treated, that they are going to be exposed and also that those partners uh, need testing anyway. We know that patient-delivered partner therapy does increase the rates of treatment and reduce the risk of reinfection, but it may also mean that you don't have an opportunity to examine someone who might be symptomatic, for example, of pelvic inflammatory disease and requires a different form of treatment than the PDPT. And it also means that you may not get to contact trace the other person who you're not seeing. Generally, outside of guidelines in those states and territories, it should be restricted to times when means of other contact tracing have failed or are considered highly likely to fail. And so, for example, here in South Australia, I wouldn't recommend doing patient-delivered partner therapy without consulting someone more specialised in that area, such as at Shine SA or Adelaide Sexual Health Centre. If you do see somebody with symptoms, such as symptoms of pelvic inflammatory disease or testicular pain, would they need a different treatment? So the treatment is generally different in someone who has those sort of symptoms and it often involves treatment to cover more than one STI, so covering both chlamydia and gonorrhea because the risk of waiting for a person's test result come back is significant in terms of them potentially having those long-term consequences of infection versus having immediate treatment before the test has come back. When taking a sexual health history, some of the questions we ask is when did they last have sex? Was that with a regular or a casual partner? If it was with a male or a female, if they use condoms and what type of sex was it? Was it vaginal sex, oral sex or anal sex? So it's important when taking a sexual health history to explain to people why asking the questions that you're asking. People don't always use the pronouns that you would assume they use looking at them or the way that they present and their partner's gender identity might not also match up with the specific type of sex that you again might assume from that gender identity. So some of the ways that you can facilitate people being able to give you that information is on your registration form having an option for them to choose their pronouns. Ask them about the types of words they use for their genitals rather than assuming they use words like vagina and penis. And also just explaining the reason that I need to ask about the specific types of sex and what went where is that the tests that we take are different depending on the site of intercourse. And generally people are understanding of your reasons for asking those questions if you explain it's not just out of your own curiosity. The important thing is not to be afraid about having the conversation about chlamydia. It's more common than you think. Most people don't know they have it and the consequences of not being treated can be very severe. Get people tested, get people treated, get talking about chlamydia. Sexual Health Matters is a podcast produced by Shine SA under funding by Country SA Primary Health Network. For more information about sexual health, 
please visit www.shinesa.org.au. Thank you.